First reading is from Deuteronomy 8. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him, and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You might say to yourself, my power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Hope you've all had a good day. There's a sermon outline there, which is always helpful because if you happen to drift off, you can get back to it and work out where I'm up to a bit later. So that's the value of it, and you might like to take some notes as well. Well, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. And last week we began our new series in our money, focusing on money and wealth and possessions, and we're we're exhorted by Jesus to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, which meant that our first priority in life should be Jesus' rule and Jesus' reign in our lives. We're challenged to have as our first importance in our lives kingdom priorities, if you like, and kingdom righteousness or kingdom character. And we also recognise that what mattered wasn't what you had. Jesus isn't concerned whether you have a lot or a little, the real issue is whether we are living day by day in dependence on him. 
we saw that the life of faith is a matter of the heart. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we were really confronted with the issue of what are you living for? What are you living for? And we noted that what we worry about can be an accurate indicator of that thing, what we are living for. We tend to worry about those things. Are we living for earthly treasure that fades and is easily spoiled or heavenly eternal treasure that lasts forever? Well, that's what we covered last week. But let me pray and then we're going to have a look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Gracious Father, we are mindful of how richly you have blessed us uh, in this life, both spiritually and materially. And so, Lord, please give us open hearts to your word and show us how we might more faithfully serve you with all we have for the sake of Jesus our Lord. Amen. The question I really want to ask as I start tonight and think about is this. Is it wrong to have material possessions and enjoy them abundantly? Is it wrong to have material possessions and enjoy them abundantly? This, I think, is an important question for us to resolve, especially as people who have so much materially relative to the rest of the world. And I want to attempt to answer that question by first noting the goodness of God's material blessings. Uh, If we turn to the opening chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, you will know this well, it talks about the creation of the world and we make a remarkable discovery. Let's read a few verses. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and God said let there be light and there was light God saw that the light was good and God said let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water and God said let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and it was so and God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas and God saw that it was good. When it goes on there's a particular pattern in the way this chapter is written Uh, sort of a formula if you like, but it's meant to convey a number of important theological truths. And one that is unmistakable is that God's creation is good. It keeps being said over and over again. The material world was not inherently bad or evil as some people want to suggest, but it was good. And that word good actually means it was as God intended it to be. And he created it for our good and for our enjoyment. Verse 28 of chapter 1 of Genesis says, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. One of the most outstanding and abundant ways we experience God's blessing uh, upon us is in the material world. Uh, We have a beautiful creation that's all around us. There's a few pretty pictures just to remind us. God created and gave us the material world for our good and for our pleasure and enjoyment. The Bible clearly and strongly precludes and excludes the notion that the created order and material things which come from the creation are somehow inherently bad. Now you might think, Michael, what are you banging on about this for? Well, because it's a very important point. Because there are those who in the past and still today usually people of an Eastern mystic background who want to say that the goal of life is to escape the evil restrictions of the physical world through meditation and ultimately death. And it's simply not true. And to say this amounts to a denial of God's goodness in the provision of the creation to fulfil our every material need. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 
says this, put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The other thing that can be helpful to recognise is that material possessions can be a sign of God's blessing on your life. It need not be, but it can be. We'll get to that. As Israel prepared to go into the promised land, they were given this assurance by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He said, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands. Then you'll live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering in to possess. And how was Israel going to enjoy God's blessing? It was through material blessing, which would be an outflow of God's covenantal goodness to them in response to their obedience. The land was the material blessing, but within the land there awaited so much more for them. Look what's said back in Deuteronomy 6. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it is difficult to deny that one of the primary ways, although not exclusively, but one of the primary ways that God shows his blessing upon Israel of old was to abundantly bless them materially. Now later, when Israel fell into disobedience, the most significant way in which God's judgment was seen was in the withdrawal of those material blessings and their removal from the source of those blessings, which was when they were cast out of the promised land. So what can we conclude for our purposes as God's people today from what I've just said? Well, I want to say that whatever measure you use, historically and by world standards, it is difficult to deny that we are materially very well off. It's relative. I know there's different levels of um, wealth in this congregation, but by any measure of the world, we are all very well off. And if that be the case, is it right to conclude that this is because of God's blessing on our life as his people? Is that why we're so blessed? Well, the answer is yes and no. That's interesting, isn't it? There is an important distinction that we need to recognise. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. See, God is generous to everyone. Everyone has access to the material things of this world and God makes them available pretty much to most people. What we can say with certainty is that material well-being is what we call a creation blessing, which is freely available to both Christians and non-Christians because, as Jesus said, God sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And that's what we call common grace, God's goodness to everyone. What we need to understand is the difference between creation blessing available to all and covenant blessing which God only bestows on his chosen, redeemed people. Now in the Old Testament, it is difficult to deny that there was a strong connection between the material creation blessing and covenant blessing. In other words, being materially blessed in the Old Testament was seen as a sign of God's covenantal blessing on your life in the promised land. 
However, when we get to the New Testament, it's difficult to make that same connection in such a strong way. The covenant blessings we are promised in Jesus Christ certainly don't exclude material blessing categorically. However, the overwhelming emphasis in the New Testament is on the spiritual blessings of God, which we have through the Holy Spirit as a foretaste in the present and will be enjoyed in their fullness in the future in heaven. Ephesians chapter 1 makes it clear. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. As privileged people living in Sydney today, as people who have decided to follow Jesus, we are richly blessed materially and spiritually. Our material prosperity is not by chance, but due to the creation blessing of God coupled with the covenantal and spiritual blessings that we have in Christ that God has generously lavished upon us. Don't you love that word lavished? You might, I love that word lavished. It's a great word. If you look it up, lavished means extravagant generosity. That is heaped, poured, showered, rained, flooded, overwhelmed, inundated upon you. Take your pick. Extravagant generosity. And that is how we should see and understand God's blessings in our life in Christ. We have been lavished by the grace and goodness of God. Well, this being the case, do we have any reason to be concerned? Should the fact that God has blessed us so lavishly, so abundantly, both materially and spiritually, be of any concern to us? Well, you might be surprised to know that the Scriptures give us a resounding yes to that question. Because the very thing that God wants, us to, wants to be a blessing in our life can very easily become a curse or a stumbling block and a barrier to our relationship with him. And the best illustration of this is the one that we see in Israel in the Old Testament and a passage like Deuteronomy chapter 8 is very helpful. And uh, there are a number of things we're going to learn here, but in Deuteronomy you might know God's people, uh, they've been in the wilderness for 40 years, they were saved out of slavery in Egypt, they're redeemed, they're the redeemed people of God, it's all been done by God for them. They've received the law on Mount Sinai and you always remember the law comes after salvation. That's in both the Old Testament and the New. God saves us first and then we're called to follow the law and walk in obedience to his word. Well in Deuteronomy God's people are on the brink of going into the promised land after 40 years in the wilderness and it's in that context that Moses utters these prophetic words warning them of the potential dangers that stem from being the recipients of God's blessings. Let's reread a couple of those verses we had before. Deuteronomy 8 verse 6 says, Observe the commandments the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. When you have eaten and are satisfied, 
Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his laws and his decrees. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is today. Sounds incredible, doesn't it? Gold piling up, wine, figs, pretty good. Do you think it ever occurred to God's people when Moses was speaking to him that such a scenario was even remotely possible? I don't think so. I think they might have laughed out loud at the thought. Think of what they've been doing. They've been wandering around in the desert for 40 years, eating flaky bits of crisp bread like a stale sayo biscuit, it's called manna, and drinking water from a rock. They could not begin to imagine what it would be like to be satisfied the way that Moses describes and yet that's exactly what happened not too many generations later. And Moses warned them of four potential spiritual dangers that I want to suggest we should make note of because we too can easily have our hearts drawn away from trusting in Jesus our Lord, ironically, because we are so blessed. So let's look at these four dangers. The first one is being satisfied. We're told that Israel would eat of the produce, and verse 10, when you eat, you are unsatisfied. Verse 12, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied. It's a warning about being satisfied. I mean, we all know it's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to eat and be satisfied, to enjoy good food and wash it down with your favourite drink or glass of wine. Uh, last weekend, Karen and I celebrated our wedding anniversary and we went out for lunch on Saturday to a lovely restaurant with views over the harbour. I mean, every one of my senses was tingling with delight. It was just fantastic, the sight of the harbour, the taste of the exquisite food, the warmth of the sunshine, the, the sound of people relaxing and enjoying themselves, the gaze of my wife looking deeply into my eyes lovingly. You've got the picture. It was fantastic. It was an absolute delight, a precious moment. It was very enjoyable and deeply satisfying. I mean, it's one of life's simple pleasures, isn't it, as an adult, to enjoy good produce, find a word and share it with those you love and they love you. It's a very wonderful thing in life. But the scriptures warn us that it can become a spiritual health hazard, especially when it's coupled with fine homes and an investment portfolio on the rise. Moses goes on to say, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, then your heart will become proud. Israel was satisfied. They wanted for nothing and a strange thing happened. They became filled with pride. And their pride it was manifest with this self-exaltation, saying, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. I mean, human nature is absolutely amazing, isn't it? When things are going well for us, when it's all good, when we are experiencing success in various forms, there's a simple explanation, isn't there? It's because of me. It's because of us. Man, I'm good. 
My power, my strength, my sheer brilliance has produced this wealth or this success for me. And we are just so clever. We try to be modest, but it's hard when you're so gifted and talented, isn't it? But it is quite remarkable that when things are bad, when life takes a turn for the worse, it can't possibly be because of our poor choices or unwise decisions. See, God's chosen people, Israel, became satisfied in their comfort and prosperity, which in turn led them to be proud and in their smug self-confidence, they developed ecclesiastical amnesia. They forgot God. So Moses goes on to say, verse 13, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God. In verses 14 and 18, just after that, he repeatedly reminds them of God's generosity and what he'd done for them. He says, he brought you out of Egypt, out of a land of slavery. That's pretty good. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness. He brought you water out of rock and gave you manna to eat. And then verse 18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So here is the ultimate condemnation of human pride. It is clearly evident when we think that all we have and all we enjoy in this life is because of us, while forgetting that it is God that gave us the abilities and the resources to make it possible in the first place. I can remember a conversation I had with a, a Christian friend a number of years ago. Uh, I don't know how the conversation came around, but I said something like this to him, you, everything you have comes from God. I said that to him and he reacted saying, look, I studied hard, I worked long hours, I deserve everything I've got. I said, well, it's true, I know you studied hard um, and worked hard, but it's God who gave you that brain to study at that academic level and it's God who gave you the determination and the personality to persevere through long working hours, which, yes, has resulted in you being as comfortable and as successful as you've been. I said, everything you are and everything you have comes from the gracious hand of God. I can't remember how the conversation ended. Probably quickly. I mean, it's so easy for any of us to become comfortably satisfied, proud in our achievements in our hearts and forget the God who gave it all to us. When you hear a great deal in the news about memory loss and diseases like dementia these days, and that is a heartbreaking illness, no doubt about it, if you've had anything to do with it. But there is a form of memory loss that is worse than any other. And the Bible makes it very clear, and is backed up by centuries of research, that there is an irrefutable connection between wealth and memory loss. And it affects people of all ages, not just the elderly. And so you see the pattern that Moses outlined here? Satisfied, proud, forgetful. And finally he says, and that leads to the folly of following other gods. Forgetting leads to following. Verse 19, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, you will surely be destroyed. Human beings were created in the image of God with an innate need to worship someone or something. That someone was God himself and for us Jesus Christ our Saviour and Lord. However, if we cease to worship the one true God, if we dare to turn away from him, it is guaranteed we will find something else to worship. And more often than not, we will worship the created rather than the glorious creator who gave it all to us. 
My friends, most of us have every reason to be a little nervous as wealthy Christians because there is significant precedent to show that a great many who have come before us and who claimed allegiance to Christ let the very blessings of God become a curse in the end because they became satisfied, then proud and forgot and in the end they followed the gods of this world. Jesus himself said, and we saw this a couple of weeks ago, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? And Jesus also said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Wealth and the satisfaction it brings can be a barrier to entry into the kingdom of God. But I want to say it can also become an idol that ultimately makes it difficult to stay in the kingdom of God. And the parable of the sower talks about that as well. A question worth reflecting on is this, why is that the case? What is it about wealth and material possessions that makes this sequence or pattern of human behaviour so common? Well, I think the answer is that when we are satisfied in the sense that we've sort of got as much as we sort of want, we're, we're comfortable, and I know there's grades of what people think comfortable is, but we're sort of comfortable and I think it lulls us into a false sense of security. It fools us into thinking that we are masters of our own destiny, that we are in control. And so we can easily end up finding our security and significance in our possessions and not in our relationship with God. I'm sure you'll agree that we're happy that the pandemic's well and truly, well, pretty much over, gone. Uh, but the pandemic had many lessons to teach us, didn't it? And there was one lesson that it really taught us. We are not in control. Everyone in the whole world's life was turned upside down and we all worked out we are not in control. Sadly though, we've forgotten it. As a society, we've forgotten. We're not in control, never have been, never will be. But with wealth and comfort, it is so easy to convince ourselves that we are in control, that we are masters of our own destinies. And I think wealth and prosperity numbs us to the need to live by faith. A faith which causes us to wait on God. A faith which causes us to trust in Him with the unknown and to live in daily dependence on Him and not in ourselves and controlling all the outcomes. So let me ask you, are you satisfied? In the sense of, within reason, you're comfortable materially with what you've got in this world. I'm sure I can answer for you as I can answer for me. Yes, of course. In, in terms of that definition, I'm very satisfied. We have everything we could really need. If so, I want to say praise God. That's fantastic. You enjoy the blessings of creation and of being in covenant relationship with the living God through Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. That is something to be thankful for and to rejoice over. So we shouldn't be guilty, feel guilty because we've been blessed. That's not the point. God doesn't want us to feel guilty. However, if that be the case and we are richly blessed, then we need to heed the sobering warning that Scripture brings to us and to those who experience material abundance, and that's that warning about forgetfulness. Israel found satisfaction in things, when it should have found delight and satisfaction in their gracious and generous God, and we can so easily be the same as them. The Westminster Catechism says this, 
The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. According to that statement, the whole purpose of our lives is glorifying God and enjoying Him. Sounds pretty good. It doesn't say the chief end of man or a person is to glorify God by enjoying all the good things that He gives us. That's very different. You might have heard of a man called John Piper, he's a pastor in the US and he's written a book called Desiring God and he suggests that the truth of that statement is better understood when it reads, the chief end of man or a person is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. A slight distinction but an important one. See, what Piper concludes, and I think he is right, is that God wants us to truly enjoy the blessings that He's bestowed on us. To not do this would be an ungrateful thing and affront to the giver. But the problem for Israel and potentially for us is not the pursuit of pleasure but that we are too easily satisfied. Israel became satisfied with the material when ultimately true pleasure and satisfaction are not meant to be found in the good things God gives us but in God himself. John Piper, in in another point, said this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. If you don't remember anything else from this talk, try and remember that. It's worth pondering. When I first came across that statement, I found it enormously liberating, but equally very challenging. How could God possibly be glorified by me if I'm more excited about material comforts and pleasures than Him? Not possible. How could I be glorifying God if what's getting me more excited is all the stuff around me and not growing in my relationship with Him? That should be what I'm getting excited about. See, if we are not to repeat the mistakes of Israel as God's covenant people today, then the answer is found in the Word of God. The Word of God is the key, we've got to keep coming back to it and that's what's said in Deuteronomy as well. These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. Chapter 8, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and revering Him. See, the Word of God was the key to life in Israel and it's the same for us today through the Lord Jesus, who we know is the living Word of God. See, it's the Word of God that keeps material satisfaction in perspective. It's the Word of God that keeps us humble and recognising that all we are and all that we have has been given to us graciously by God. We didn't deserve it or earn it. It's the Word of God which reminds us of all that Jesus has done for us and the salvation He has won for us. It's the Word of God that will help us to see God in all His glory and majesty so that we are not too easily satisfied, become proud, forget the Lord and follow the other gods of this world. And it's the Word of God that acts as a lens to give us those healthy eyes which we talked about last week, to keep our hearts focused on the true treasure That is the kingdom of God. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus because He is the living Word of God and our deepest desires can only be met in Him, by Him 
and through him. Jesus himself said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. The full, the best, the most, the maximum. Friends, how blessed we are spiritually and materially. Do you agree? We are. It all comes from the gracious hand of God. And we want to be sure that we learn the lessons that Israel brings to us. The chief end of a person is to glorify God and the surest way to do that is by enjoying him forever. forever, And nothing else will do. And there are no substitutes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for your love for us, your faithfulness to us and your patience with us. And Lord, we can acknowledge that you have blessed us so richly in every way, materially and spiritually. Oh Lord, we live in a wonderful part of the world, we have so much and we thank you for it and the enjoyment that brings to us from your creation. But Lord, we know there is a danger in having so much. Please help us not to become self-satisfied and proud and forget you and wander off and follow other gods. Oh Lord, keep us faithful to you. Help our greatest delight to be in knowing you and growing in our relationship with you. We pray this for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen.